Welcome to episode 29 of the Endurance Asia podcast. This week we're joined by David Lloyd, the race director and founder of the Vietnam Trail Series. Three of the toughest ultra races in Vietnam, uh, the Vietnam Jungle Marathon, the Vietnam Mountain Marathon and the Vietnam Trail Marathon. He's, uh, he's also one of the directors of Velo Vietnam, which is a cycle tour company that organises cycle, uh, cycle tours. Uh, top bloke from, uh, from the UK originally, but spent um, almost the last 10 years in Vietnam exploring the trails, exploring the roads, taking on quite a few challenges of his own, including, uh, including an Everesting and um and yeah just a great story about how he um he's got to really get under the skin of vietnam and and organize an amazing series of trail runs um that have essentially built the trail community in in vietnam where they get up to like four thousand participants and and 90 vietnamese uh, attending the races so really kicked off the the trail scene in, in vietnam and he shares some of their plans um obviously slightly scuppered in the, in the current uh current climate but um they've uh, they're going ahead with their races later on this year and uh uh, and yeah, and their plans for for future races to to really showcase Vietnam as a destination to people throughout Asia and and the world to to get out on the trails. So uh, with that, we've got David Lloyd. David, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm a fan of the podcast, so great to be part of it. Yeah, well, we were uh, we were supposed to be doing this up a, a mountain pass somewhere in in Vietnam on the bikes, but obviously uh, coronavirus has put paid to that, so we're we're all doing it from our bedrooms. But uh, yeah, really appreciate you making time and, and keen to find out more about you know your background and and also what you've been up to over the last the last few months with everything going on there and and what the year ahead has in store. Great. But yeah, I mean, we, um, you've just been featured on the, the Unfound podcast, so I'd highly recommend anyone who's interested in hearing about cycling in Vietnam, check that one out. Um, and they touch a lot on your, uh, your background, how you got to Vietnam and so on. But for people that don't know you, um, maybe you could give a little bit of an introduction. Sure. So yeah, as you said, I was, I was talking to Jules on Unfound mainly about the, the cycling, which is uh, a big part of my background, uh, particularly here in Vietnam, but, but going back further. So uh, before I came to Vietnam, I was working in London and uh, doing a lot of whitewater kayaking out in Wales uh, from there and also mountain biking and road riding. Um, then uh, my wife was a primary school teacher and she had the six weeks holiday. So she went out traveling uh, on one of those holidays and went around Cambodia, Laos and Vietnam. And uh, she loved Vietnam. And long story short, we decided to, uh, to come over here and, and work. We thought initially for around six months, but we just both uh, completely fell in love with it. And I was working at that time in uh, travel journalism mainly and uh, took a job with uh, Footprint, the UK publisher. And did a lot of traveling around Vietnam. Uh, a lot of it was by bike. 
and uh, so yeah, we fell in love with the country. So we, in the end, we we settled down here, and that was around ten years ago. And did you move straight into to working with with Topaz, who you work with now, when you moved over, or? No, that was some years later. I mean, the, at the beginning, it was around about 2011. And at that time, there was no trail running scene and there were no ultra runs here at all. So that was, there, were, it were, there were two years I was in Vietnam where there was nothing. Um, and during all that time, I was doing uh, travel journalism and some photography as well, working for magazines and newspapers, including like New York Times uh, and, and English ones such as uh, Independent and I'd say the the uh, the guidebooks footprint and also uh, insight guides and then in 2013 the first ultra marathon started here vietnam mountain marathon i was involved in that from the beginning but at that time it certainly wasn't a job there were only around 200 runners in it and only one person uh, on the team was really was doing it full time and the other people who were on the kind of the, the organizing board shall we say we're all we're, we're all volunteers doing it because we loved it so yeah, with Vietnam Mountain Marathon, we can we can come on to it a bit later. But I mean, to the extent that there are a sort of there's, there are sort of classic Asia races, that's that's pretty much become one of them, I guess. Um, yeah, difficult for me to say that being so close to it, but yeah, certainly in in Vietnam, it's uh, it's the original Mountain Marathon here. Uh, so a lot of people started their their trail running journey in our race, so at our race, and uh, so yeah, for for a lot of people, it certainly got very special and close to a lot of people's hearts. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned, so obviously on the subject of trail running, you mentioned you've done a bit yourself, but um, what had you done back home? You, you talked about being out in, uh, in Wales. What sort of, sort of stuff did you get up to there? Uh, so that started, um, so originally it was, what, it was white water kayaking up there, mostly in, and mountain biking. And uh, that's started my, my love of the mountains. And then I met my, uh, my cousin, who was, he's, he's Canadian, but he was over living in Oxford with his wife. And uh, he was much more of a into sort of speed, and uh, he was a quite high-level duathlete. And so I didn't fancy going for a 5K run with him so much. We went to the mountains instead, and uh, we started by doing sections of the Welsh 3000s over a weekend, and then from there it progressed to doing the Welsh 3000s in a day, and then doing Welsh 3000s as fast as we could. And uh, so the Welsh 3000, sorry, is uh, 15 peaks all over 3,000 feet, so around a thousand meters up in Wales and through that I just just started to love the the, the mountains and particularly fell we call fell running in England you know mountain running and uh, so I started reading around that a lot more and read uh, Richard Asquith's book uh, Feet in the Clouds which is about his attempt at the Bob Graham round which is a classic uh, big round of around 100k in the Lake District and uh, so his book was is around about 50% history of fell running in England and 50% his attempt at this round. And uh, he was living in London and working in journalism at the time. So he was having to travel up there and back to do all the, the research. And I loved that idea and it just chimed really well with me and, and my love of Wales. And so I found out about the, the, the uh, Paddy Buckley, which is the Welsh version, and then became obsessed with that in the same way that he was obsessed with, uh, with Bob Graham. So that is a, one, around about 100K and 47 peaks. And it's, uh, you have to learn it. So at that time, I mean, it, there must have been GPS devices around, but I didn't have one. I didn't use GPS for that at all. It was OS map and compass and learn the terrain and go out on these five sections and really get to know the mountains. And you needed to, to know them like the back of your hand, particularly the, the sections you had to do in the dark. 
And so that was a huge part of my life for probably two years, learning that and then ultimately ultimately doing that. So that's the, the, the where my mountain running really, love for mountain running really comes from is, uh, is Wales. Did, and did you manage you... to, sorry, Rick, I'll just jump in there. Did you manage to knock it off in, uh, in the first attempt? Obviously, there was a two years worth of planning and training went into the, uh, to, to getting that done. But when you actually came up and said, right, this is the day I'm going to get the full um, five sections done in one go. Did you manage to knock it off in one go? I did do it in just under 24 hours. So it was around 23.55. It was close, very, very close. But uh, I had done multiple sections in training before. So I think I've done at least three sections at one go. So I was fairly confident I could do it. Um, and also, I'd, luckily, I'd met through a friend. So my friend Sue, her auntie Sue, was doing it for her 50th birthday herself. And so I, I helped her pace her across three of the sections. So that was massively helpful. If you can, She knew it better than I did. So if you can go with somebody who knows it better, of course, it's like uh, amazing education on the, on the trail and also sort of picking the right path in certain places. So um, I met her at a car park, I think it was 1 a.m. Uh, for the first time ever. I'd never met her face to face. And so we just went up the, the first peak. And I remember talking a lot to her thinking that perhaps she'd like conversation and I remember her turning to me and saying David can we not talk now and it's perhaps the most polite way I've been told to shut up ever so uh, she really helped me massively in. and uh, yeah so seeing her do it and actually she did it in the end she took 29 hours and we were just all blown away by her strength and how she she got that done and then at the end she went we all went to the pub and she brought everybody around and the next day, I remember texting Sue and saying, how is she? And she, she was making a Sunday roast for her family. And uh, certainly when I finished, I was in no fit state to do anything for anybody. And uh, so I, I, I always thought if I took more than 24 hours, I didn't care. It was just to, to get it done was, was incredible. And in, in some ways, it's more incredible that someone stays on their feet for, for 29 hours. So, yeah, I did it in under 24. But whether I had on or hadn't, I, I would have been pleased just to, just to get it done. That's for sure. And did you have a big crew helping you as well and uh, helping with the navigation and uh, pacing you? No, I had my wife in a car <laughs> in, uh, in our old beat-up Nissan Micra at the time. And uh, so she would just drive around to the, to the end of each section. And I went solo. And I definitely wouldn't recommend doing that to anybody. I, I, I wouldn't do it again. Because uh, it was certainly like it, just carrying your own pack and carrying everything. The pack gets heavier and heavier, of course which you know it seems to get heavier all the time and also the navigation you can start to make stupid mistakes because you're you're tired and you know it's particularly when it's dark so only on the on the section where i had to go up in the dark it was i only made one mistake actually navigation mistake which wasn't too costly but the the bigger mistake was i remember i put my pack down and just looked around just for a moment and then looked back and my pack wasn't there and it's on the the glitters so people are familiar with the with Wales. It's the the range that comes across to uh, Triven uh, Peak or Trevan Peak, and it's very, it's a really rocky landscape up there. So you can lose your bag behind a rock quite quickly. So that was a a bit of a panic-inducing moment if I'd lost that. And of course, if you have someone else with you, the risk of something going wrong is, or it, maybe it goes wrong when you've got two of you and it, you can fix it a lot easier. So uh, I'm happy I did it, but I wouldn't do it that way again uh but yeah so my support crew was my wife which was uh which was pretty special and so, so in future you'd have someone run the majority with you if you could rope someone in 
Yeah, I mean, normally that's what people do. So you have, a, like I did with Sue. So I planned to do two sections with her. And then she had another person coming to do the last section and somebody else had already done two sections. So the person who's with you is fresh. So they can carry the extra water. They can help you with navigation if you need it. And just, you know, keep your spirits up. Yeah. So, and I, in the end, I did the third section with her just because I felt okay. And I thought that I could see the value of going with her was, you know, there was a really high value in that because she really knew the trail. Or, well, not the trail, actually, there is no trail on a lot of it. She knew, she knew the best navigation choices quite often. But yeah, for sure, do it with somebody else would be my very strong advice. Yeah, yeah there's been a lot around because there was Nikki Spinks that did the, um, there was a mm. great documentary about her doing the double Bob Graham round, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been, I think those those famous sort of rounds across the fells in uh, in the UK have become um, pretty iconic as challenges to take on. Mm. Sure. And at, at the time when I did it, I don't, I, th- I really feel like they weren't particularly well known. And the, I don't know, FK, you know, F fastest known time, FKT, that wasn't a thing I, that I knew of at that time. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy it's growing. I think it's great that more people get into it and get out there and, and see the fells or the, you know, the mountains in that way, because it's, I can't really think of a better way to really get to know the hills and to connect with that landscape than, than doing something like the, one of the rounds. And were you were you then surprised, I guess, when you got to Vietnam that there wasn't more, more fell running or mountain running going on there? Is that? Um, I think I don't think I was so, so much surprised. I'd never been to Vietnam actually, so my wife had been over here and she'd fallen for it, but I had no idea what to expect really. So I think I would have been more surprised if there was a, a, a trail running scene really. Um, but there, yeah, there literally was nothing. I mean, no, no right, no race anyway. And I didn't know anybody at that time that went out even just to the hill outside Hanoi and, and ran. So, but the entire world of sport, in terms of like cycling, running, triathlon, everything was just a world away in 2010, 2011 is what it is now in Vietnam. And so back then, Topaz, when you started working for them, there was, it, that was just more sort of organized tours and, and treks and things, was it? No, I, I didn't have anything to do with uh, Topaz until the, until the race started. So. Right. I came in as part of that team for the for the first Vietnam Mountain Marathon, and yeah, as I said at that time, it was I think I think there were around 200 runners, and only a very small handful of Vietnamese runners, and I think one 70k Vietnamese runner, and so like contrast that with now, for say for that race, there's 4,000 runners, and more than 50% of them are are Vietnamese. And then for another race we did this year, uh, Vietnam Trail Marathon, that's 3,090% from Vietnam. So it's night and day, the, the scene between, between now and then. Yeah, that's amazing. And not just participation, but they're, they're winning the races in, in, uh, and elsewhere in the region as yeah. well. <laughs> and by, a long, by quite a margin as well, quite often. Yeah, I mean, I, I joined that, that inaugural, the Vietnam Jungle Marathon that you guys put on, the 70. And there was there was two Vietnamese guys who I think have gone on to, to, to bigger and better things, and but they you know they they absolutely smashed that course. Yeah, so the first that was a great addition. So that Vietnam Jungle Marathon is real, really like my baby. I love that. That there's a lot of special aspects to, to that race. But the um, that addition you're talking about that was Cal Ngoc Ha, who's now more of a triathlete, and uh, Chun Zui Quang, who at that time was kind of the up and coming ultra runner here, and so they ran. They were next to each other all the way through the race. So if you had GPS trackers on them, you wouldn't have been able to split them apart. And it was only the last after the last checkpoint 
in the last couple of K that the Kalnop Power, who was like the one who's now the more of a triathlete, pulled away and gapped Quang and took the win. But since then, yeah, Quang's really developed as a as a runner and he's now for sure the top ultra runner in uh, in Vietnam and he's up there in the region as well. And uh yeah, he's he went from I don't placing way, way off the podium just a few years ago at BMM forty two K. And then within about three years, he won the 100K. So he's a very natural talent. And you can see watching him run, is he has a very, very beautiful flowing style on the trail, particularly, particularly downhill. So, yeah, he's for sure uh, one to watch. What kind yeah. of support is there for uh, for these Vietnamese athletes? Like, do they have, um, is there any kind of like funding or do they have any... Um, is it just purely a pastime? Because, I mean, that's often what we find in these developing countries where there's just not enough money behind it to be able to, or, or there's not enough encouragement for people to sort of take it up as a as a profession or even to take it really seriously. Yeah, not there's nothing, there's no state funding for them. But those that have the talent, like Quang and, and some others, they'll be, for example, like so Garmin have, stepped in and sponsored him so it's that you know he gets all his equipment from them and then Solomon here sponsored him with the with the gear and then actually people who are interested in the sport who have business that they can link to it will often I say often there's not many of them but sometimes they'll they'll employ these people so Quang actually now works with a with a company which is uh, linked with sport and the, actually the genetics of, of, of sports people and he got that job really through his network of that he developed from, from running. So there's no state support, but sort of more sort of private, private backing from businesses. People will, will step in and support these athletes. So that's, he's, a, he's a bit of a special case, but then otherwise, uh, some of them like Kalnop Ha, he's, he has his, his day job, but then he also works with a, a company they've started themselves, which is called Budap uh, Che, which means twin bike run in Vietnamese. And so, and also he started coaching. So they, and then, also, he'll have sponsorship from some of the brands here. So, for example, uh, he has a specialised bike from the, from TriSport shop down in Saigon and yeah. uh, also Garmin support. So, yeah, there's there's reasonable support. And also, I should add the races. Like, generally, if you're, if you're placing in top uh, slots like that, you won't be paying for your race entry fees either. Um, and there's a bit of prize more. money or whatever or it's not prize money or is it mainly just you know get they get gear for us like uh, as prizes yeah not prize money yeah prizes that they could they could sell potentially yeah but it's uh yeah there's certainly nobody is, is salaried but i think i think it's fair to say that through the sport they've managed they've they're able to develop other income streams yeah because i think that's a really important part of it right is that if um especially as you expand into getting more of the local communities joining if they're able to see these amazing local athletes up on a pedestal both making a career out of it it will just fuel that the grassroots runners within the local communities to, to get on and um, we've we've had uh, ryan blair on the podcast he's the sort of uh, the team director for the North Face Adventure Racing Team. He's based up in Hong Kong, and he's pulled together some phenomenal athletes from across Asia, Philippines, Thailand, Hong Kong. Uh, but there's no one in, no one from Vietnam in his team, so it should definitely um, get him to start tapping up <laughs> some of the talent in uh, in Vietnam as well. Absolutely, what, yeah. What I mean, as I say, Quang's gone from nowhere near the podium to smashing it. And being on the top step pretty quickly, so I, I reckon in another couple of years he'll be he'll be 
developed even more, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember I remember bumping into you on that last the top of the, I think what I think is the last climb in that in that seventy K jungle race where you hit the road before you then head back down towards yeah. the village and asking you how far ahead the leaves were and you said they finished four hours ago. So <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a wake up call. Um, but what's the what's probably the should have lied. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't the best thing to hear when you knew you still had to yeah, they're right in front. Come on, you can catch him, Rich. <laughs> oh, no, I knew I knew they were a long way ahead. Um you, I mean just taking that one as an example, you said that's that was your baby and it's it was from what I remember, it's a pretty remote location. What was yeah. what's the perception when you go out to these places and start trying to put together roots? That one that time it was only a few years ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago in terms of that area. Because at that time so even people from Hanoi, which is around four or five hours from that location, I would say, oh, we're looking at the race in Pulung, and they would say, where is Pulung? So it, it, it felt like, uh, yeah, we'd really kind of discovered this new area. And when we were looking at mapping it out, there was, there was very little at that time. You couldn't really see much on the Google satellite view there. So we, we had a contact who did a lot of uh, community tourism, developing community tourism in Pulung. So we, we, he had no idea about running at all. But he knew the area. And so he put us in contact with some of the people who opened some small homestays in the villages there. And he uh, explained to them what we were looking for. And then so I went with some of my guys from my team from Sapper up in the mountains. And we, we start just heading out on trail that may or may not be, be good for a run. And I remember the, the first day we went from uh, Yule's house, which is in the Finnish village, to Nam's house on this trail. And it was a, it was a bloody awful rocky trail and it was in leech infested and we, he said oh it's 4k and ended up being something like 10k and that we were by the time we got to lunch we showers we thought oh well, this is no good this area is, looks beautiful but isn't runnable and then we sat down had a bit of a chat to him about what we really needed from a trail and then uh, he completely switched where he was taking us so it wasn't a kind of a hardcore trek it was it was something much more flowing that you could you could run on um and then so we 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 found some gorgeous trail from his house to the next and spent another couple of days looking and then actually then he, we went to places he hadn't even been so nam who lives in the area and knew the trails around his house didn't know these other areas at all and he was having to ask directions and so it was really was a couple of two or three days of of discovery following that and uh yeah i mean it was just like you've seen there amazing trail mind-blowing scenery and also this feeling of this is a place that people haven't been yet and why on earth haven't they been here and that's i think when you get that feeling that is something that's special and you, you know what having you know be, being a runner and loving the mountains you know what runners want and uh it, for sure in, in pulu and for jungle marathon it was, it was just really clear and right away that this was going to work um, and in terms of what we look for, apart from the, of course, the trail is the, is the main thing. Um, what's great is if we can have some key sort of wow points on the trail as well. So Vietnam Jungle Marathon, if you remember when you come through from uh, checkpoint six, you climb up uh, what we call the, the spike, an extremely steep climb, um, which you, you need your hands for on some points. And then you, and then you, open, you come through a section of jungle and this valley opens up. And it's like something out of a dream there with this incredible rice valley underneath you. And then there's a huge cave on the left. And then uh, the small uh, minority village at the end, which we'll run to. 
and there's a rock that you couldn't have made it better if you tried to, so people can stand on it and have their photo taken. And uh, you, you can find a place like that. And you, again, in terms of conveying how beautiful it is to people who've never been to Vietnam, you can get a couple of those shots that people can sort of envision themselves standing there. I want to be there. I want to run through that valley. And, and, and those things just kept coming up more and more in that race. So yeah, if you can find those, then that's, that's uh, for sure uh, very helpful. And then uh, also here in Vietnam, it's great if you can have the, the feeling of discovering that or learning about or running through these ethnic minority culture uh, communities. And again, that, has, that area has that in spades. And then a, a great finish line is another thing we always look for. And, and that one has it in this uh, Banhang race village. So a lot of the runners, we have about 300 runners stay in that village. And then, so those that choose to stay there then run the trail and finish in this, in this finish village. And so it's normally there's one homestay. I think, I think now having put the race there, there's around four homestays that operate year round. But at the beginning there was just one homestay. So this was a, a village that never normally saw more than probably like four tourists a week. And all of a sudden there's 400, 300, 400 international trail runners from all over the world staying there. And then now there's a thousand people, you know, finish at the, at the finish line there. And it's just something incredible about that, you know, walking through the village and you'll see groups of trail runners underneath these salt houses and, you know, one's from Denmark, one's from Singapore, one's from Vietnam. And they're all having a chat about what they love, which is the mountains and the trails. So yeah, it's uh, incredibly special. And I feel really privileged to be able to put that, race on and bring people to to enjoy that that uh location that they would never normally get to go and see yeah i remember you you sort of dump everyone in a in a field in the pitch dark at three in the morning and i remember you saying you know watch out for the i forget what you call it. is it the beast if one of the, the one of the early so the beast, yeah the beast at the start yeah um but getting up that, there and, and and just perfectly timed the sun was just coming up um just an amazing amazing way to to start that race uh, yeah, yeah really I'm special. quite jealous actually because I've never done that at, at, sun, at sunrise so <laughs> all of you, you runners have seen that and I've seen the videos and the photos but I only ever went up there at different times of day so that, yeah but the sunrise up there is is pretty pretty magical but yeah it's the beast because it's it's pretty soon isn't it after you start you've only got a few k to warm up and then it's straight into a yeah. 800k straight up and actually that one it kind of that reminded me a bit of Wales being there so there's one uh Pennet Old Wen in, in uh, this part of the 3000s and the paddy is just, is just like that. 800 metres and it's straight up and there's no let up in it. And it, so part of the reason I like that hill so much is that it put me in mind of yeah, nice. being back in, in Wales. And then, so that was 2017. How's that, how's that evolved over the years since? So is that, is that, are those villages now more established and, and more on the tourist trail? Yeah, the whole, I mean, it's certainly not very touristy, um, but it's more, there's certainly more, a lot more tourism that goes there. So now there's a few uh, very nice sort of eco-lodge style or, you know, nice bungalows with, with swimming pools, maybe sort of 10 or 15 collection of uh, bungalows around a the pool. There's a few more of those kind of style places there. And then, as I say, that village, the Finnish village had one homestay, I think it was just the one when we began and now there's at least four or five operators as homestays there but generally if you went there during the week you wouldn't probably you wouldn't bump into another tourist still in that village um and the race itself has grown from that first edition was around 300 of us and then now it's we cap it at 1000 actually for the for the longer distances so we can have more 10k runners come but for the longer distance it's 
it's a thousand because logistically um, for various other reasons it's better to keep that one reasonably tight uh, in terms of numbers and that's in your, the areas called Pulyong, which is spelled P-U-L-U-O-N-G. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of um, it's southwest of Hanoi, like four hours southwest of Hanoi, sort of. Yeah. Going if you keep going, you'd hit you'd go to the to the Lao border, and Sorry. it's uh, used to take around. Like in that first edition, you probably took about six hours to get there, but now you can if you if you're quick in your own car, you can do it in not much more than four hours and it's yeah Pulung it's, and it's actually a nature reserve the area is uh, Pulung nature reserve and what what's the rest of your sort of uh, group of uh, of trail races then that you um, that you do across Vietnam so Vietnam Jungle Marathon you mentioned it was your baby but what wasn't the first race within um, that, that you guys had started put it on no so Vietnam Mountain Marathon was the first one so that started 2013 and that's up in Sapa so so in terms of numbers, that one grew from, that was smaller at the start, because like I say, there was no trail running happening. So it was uh, really starting from zero with around 200 people. And it was from, at the beginning, it was, you could do 21, 42 or 70. And we've grown that over the years. So now it's around 4,000 people. Uh, well, <laughs> if there's no Corona, it's 4,000 people. And uh, we added on Sunday, to the Saturday, so now we've got 10k, 15, 21, Saturday, 21k on Sunday, 42k, 70k, and 100k, and uh, and that's more almost now like a festival of trail running for a full weekend. So it's, the 100k starts Friday and it runs right through to Sunday. And in Vietnam, some of the trail runners call that the the runners Tet, and Tet is the you know the Chinese sorry, <laughs> the lunar, the lunar New Year. And um, so that is the, the runner's new year. So they feel like when VMM is, is finished, then it starts again for, for the next year, for, for trail runners at least. So, yeah, that's the, that's the first one. And then we How added, easy is that to get to? Because like Sapa is, is northwest of Hanoi, right? Uh, but it's, it's, it goes sort of more towards the China border rather than the, um, the, Laos, the Laos border. That's right. right. Yeah, to get to it's now really easy. It used to be that first edition and the second as well, and maybe even the third. You had to get a train, so we it was cool because you do we'd do a night train, and particularly the first one, we put all the runners on a night train. So this the sort of trail runner community vibe started in Hanoi, and they all went up together overnight. But now that you can bus up there in five hours, there's a dead fast straight highway that goes straight up there, and so once you're out of Hanoi, you're on a highway almost until. Uh, well, you're, you're there, you get up to Lao Cai City and then it's a, a mountain pass, around 25k beautiful mountain pass up to the town. So that one's now much quicker to get to, so yeah, like I say, about five hours. So some people, like Singapore people, for example, will just fly in in the morning and then get up there in the afternoon. And then you've added one more of you, the, the Vietnam Trail Marathon. Yeah, so following the addition of Vietnam Jungle Marathon, uh, we decided to add a third one because the like I say, the market is growing so fast here and there's, a, there's definitely demand for another race. So I was, I did, that's the fun part. Now it's time to look around where are we going to make another race? So there's quite a lot of research in different parts of the, of the country. And I didn't just look in the north. We thought maybe we'd try one some more of a central Vietnam. But in the end, I was dragged back to the, to the north again because really, if you want mountains, 
and uh, and the best trail is up in the, up in the north of the country. So this one's in uh, Mokcho, which is in uh, Sunla province. So then you go uh, west out of Hanoi, and it's an area that is famous inside, but not outside Vietnam, of course. But inside Vietnam, it's famous for uh, tea plantations, and also the during, around the time of Tet, the Lunar New Year, has blossomed on the on the trees. So you've got the the cherry blossom, the peach blossom, the plum. And so people can run through these landscapes full of the orchards in, in bloom. So that was the, the key part, the key kind of uh, feature of that of this race. But also uh, the trails are like properly, properly remote. So with the first, we went up there and uh, the first day or two of research we did with no, we didn't have any local contact there. So we just had a map, well, satellite map and just went out and uh, got very lost <laughs> basically because there's it's so remote there are there are a lot of the places there aren't trails so we'd just be looking at okay there's an orchard there and an orchard there and we can get between them probably and uh, and generally we found a reasonable path but quite often there there wasn't one and so that there was a lot more development of that race refining it and, and bringing it onto the trails which were, were more runnable and uh, and in the end we've got a very runnable like, beautiful route which is quite different to the other races but it has those key features that I was talking about earlier in terms of like great trail, runnable trail, some lot, actually lots of those kind of wow points throughout it because you've got the the tea plantations, loads of these these orchards which when they're in bloom is incredible to, to run through. Particularly people in, in Vietnam love that to, to run through these 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 orchards full of flowers and blossom, sorry. And uh, and then the, another awesome finish line which is in a in a huge uh, tea plantation which is again like very very, very uh, photogenic and a, and a beautiful place to finish finish a race and there it's uh, 10k 21 42 and 70 and uh, all on one day we do that. and that one is now uh, 3,000 people this year came to that amazing and when you when you're wrecking these routes is it is it the sort of place where you might run into trouble like are you are there people who don't want you there or yeah, well, funny, and actually on the first day, um, I was talking about when we, we didn't know where we were going, we didn't have any local support, we we were running in this area that was, there was no concrete, and then all of a sudden there was concrete, and there was a few vehicles around, and we thought, oh, this is a bit odd, and, and it really was in the middle of nowhere, and then it, after that, when we went to, to meet with the local authorities, and they said, oh, where, where are you planning to run, and we showed them on the map, and they looked at each other and said, perhaps not there. And so that we ran through a military area. We definitely not really meant to uh, to make trail races, but luckily they they were so amazing and that they could see the the vision of the the race in terms of bringing people to Mokcho, not only from Vietnam but from around the region and around the world. And it was that it would be a great advertising showcase basically for it. And so uh, the the woman who's fantastic, who's basically the boss in Mokcho basically kind of strong-armed it seemed the uh, the army people and, uh, and the people at province level to let us run through their their military zone so people do in that race run right through a place that they would definitely not be allowed to run normally and even even for us we say you know can we fly cam there and uh, no is the answer so yeah you could I mean I, I guess we wouldn't have been in much trouble they would have just if, if, if they'd seen us they'd have just shoot us off the the land it wouldn't have been a case of being banged up or anything but yeah, so uh, that's the only the only case I can think of really where you, we've we've had any kind of issue.
Um, but yeah, actually, also in up in Sapa, we did make a mountain bike race before Vietnam Mountain Bike Marathon. And on one of the days, it wasn't recon, it was our last inspection two days before the race. And we were in an area which is quite remote and you shouldn't normally access. And uh, we ended up, one of our team was hauled into the, to the police station in this remote area there, even though we had all the papers and we had the license to do it. Uh, we had to go in and explain in further detail why we were there. So yeah, we do, we do enter these areas, but particularly up in the, in the north in Sapa, because we've been there as an organization since the 90s, it's, uh, it's possible to navigate the system. Presumably, I guess once you've once you've done a few put a few of these races on, you've got that proven model. It gets that much easier to get approvals in other areas because you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when we we met with the the people at Vietnam Trail Marathon, so the Mok Cho District People's Committee there, the the, the local authorities, we, the first thing we did was show them the video of the Vietnam Mountain Marathon, so they could get an idea of what we do. And of course, then it you know it looks professional. You know, not only the production of the video, but you, you know, just the number of people there. They they see the start, they see the finish, and then they're like, okay, right, we see, you can, you know, what you're doing, and then, then uh, they then they want it, and and it's sometimes not now. It's not us going to the, the provinces, but we have a few requests from other provinces to us to say, can you bring a race here, um, which is great because then we go and check it out, and if it's uh, looks like a goer, then we add it to the you know potential list for the next next trail race. So for now, you've got the three. Are there, are there, are there firm plans to add any more at the moment? Yeah, so actually, this is a timely podcast uh, because we just last week, we went up. So I locked down. I don't want to dwell too much on the, the corona in this episode, I know. But uh, it, the lockdown here ended a few weeks ago in Vietnam with no community transmissions for a while. So we were free to go out. So we went straight up to the mountains as a team. And... Uh, we went to a lodge which is near so topaz eco lodge is the finish line of vietnam mountain marathon we've got another one in a valley nearby uh, called topaz riverside lodge we went there as a team and we were going to make a running route around it and just perhaps kind of put some paint mark on trees or so people who go up there and run can just go out and do a 10k uh just as part of their weekend but we went out and it ended up we went a bit further than that and then we came back and had a few beers on the on the terrace uh, outside the lodge and just felt really inspired to, to make something else so we decided to to make a race and so actually just today uh kian who's a really important part of the team has just been sending through photos of other parts of trail he's found uh, to put on top of the ones we found last week and so tomorrow we'll send out a, a, a newsletter to say we're doing this new race but only for 100 probably for 100 people and that so that will be probably like 25k only and it will be 100 people who all come together from Hanoi on, on buses and stay in the same village and then do this run on the Saturday. And then we'll do a recovery run on the Sunday and then we'll come back together. So that will be the next new one. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's going to be quite small and we, we want to do something just uh, special and intimate this time. And then that might develop next year. Maybe it'll be bigger next year. And then we have another location which we've been to already to research, which we'll probably add on uh, next year and maybe a, a fifth which i'm going to go and research soon so we wouldn't have expanded that much unless uh, this situation happened with corona so now we're it's a travel company with sport within it and with uh, properties within it but the travel part of the business is of course now 
and I think uh, well, it's been hit hard, of course, by by coronavirus. So we'll probably we have more time and more staff now to develop other races. So yeah, potentially next year there might be race four and five of the longer runs, and then this new little intimate 100 person run might develop. So yeah, maybe six in total. And we're going to do a another event as well called the KOM, as in King of the Mountain. That's a cycling hill climb, individual time trial, just outside Hanoi, on a, a mountain that I love because it's the maybe we'll talk about a bit later. But the first one I did an Everest thing on, and uh, location-wise, it's great. There's only 45k or 50k from the city, and it's a beautiful hill climb straight up through a national park. On they've just developed the road, so it's dead smooth tarmac from top to bottom, and uh, 12k at about eight percent. So we're going to do that for cyclists. But I thought, why not just stick a run on it? So before the cyclists go, uh, those who are weird enough to <laughs> want to, and there are, we're luckily in Vietnam, plenty of those who uh, like that kind of pain. So they'll they'll just run straight up. So that will be a mass start run, um, something different. I don't know, honestly, who how many might join, but because we're just going to tag it onto the bike race, it doesn't really matter if only 20 people want to do it. So that'll be a KOM, King of the Mountain, run and ride and at the top we'll have the throne the king and queen thrones for runners and riders so the current leader will sit on those kind of tour de france style so that's going to happen probably you were in talking, sorry I, I, um you're saying that's happening in december but i, I remember um you talking about emma pooley came out and did um she's a like big cyclist i uh, like as an olympic was she an Olympic cyclist though, or she's yeah, very, she's Olympian, uh, so world champion. So I've got a story about her. I was listening to you talk to Jules about her, and when I did, she did the Hort route the same year as me, and I got. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this by saying I was really sick going out there. Like I had a chest infection, and uh, I finished the Queen stage at 100. And, I think I had like 102 degrees temperature, and was just a. But they had them. Um, they did the, which is the major switchback in um, uh, outdoors um, yeah. as, as the time trial one. And so I went out doing the time trial, and uh, and she came at the. I, I was at the, going off at the same time as her, but she actually decided to run it instead. <laughs> she, <laughs> she fucking overtook me running up outdoors while I was trying to cycle. I was just like, that is the most demoralising thing I've ever. <laughs> I felt like just getting off my bike and just like yeah, just going going to sleep right there. But um, but yeah, she's a beast of a of a runner as well, right? And um, yeah. and yeah, she. I, I don't know whether you got the slight inspiration from her, like because uh, she's like loves running road hills as well. Yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, beast is is the word for sure. She t she describes herself as a frustrated runner. Actually, she was originally a runner, and then found out she was pretty good on a bike, and then ended up with a few yeah. World Championship jerseys hanging on the wall, but really, her in her heart, she's a runner, and uh, for sure, like she now she's doing a lot of running in um, in Switzerland with, and she's on Solomon. I don't know if it's a Solomon team, but she's certainly part of the Solomon the group there. But then uh, more recently, she's got involved in an initiative for for women cycling in, in Switzerland, really trying to promote women in the sport. So she's gone more back towards the the bike. But yeah, if you get her onto the subject of running, then uh, then uh, yeah, that's her favourite. And, and when she came out with us. So she came out on a tour with Velo Vietnam first, just to do, uh, yeah, it was a holiday, basically a riding holiday with a, with a friend of hers. And they rode from Vietnam into Laos and, and back into Vietnam, kind of the, the hard way over, over gravel and 
you know, well, gravel bike friendly territory. And she would go out in the morning and knock out half a marathon some days, like not every day, of course, but she was doing 21Ks and then riding 150Ks. Uh, yeah, no trouble at all. And, and then yeah, afterwards, she, uh, she joined the team. So she's with it. She works, she's, well, she doesn't work for us directly, but she's on part of the Velo Vietnam team now. So at least once a year, we're hoping we'll, she'll come out and be part of the, the team sort of guiding or at least uh, inspiring people, probably more than guiding, let's say, on the bike. Yeah. So yeah, she she certainly yeah, fell for for Vietnam and, and and Laos. Yeah, that's cool. And and do you, you mentioned that you used to do um, Vietnam mountain bike race? At the was that around the same time as the um, as the VMM, or did you? It was, it was a different time of year. But are, are yeah, it was races. Yeah. It was November, so we did like VMM's end of September, and then we had sort of a month to get our heads together and then we went for the this three-day Vietnam mountain bike marathon event um which again was one of those kind of like my baby kind of close to my heart things but it was really small so the the mountain bike community here there is one but not one that wants to do the kind of things we were doing because it was three days of I mean we called the we called the second stage the killer which looking back was a bad idea <laughs> but that had a, a climb on it which was something like 12k at some hard gradient and then over rock so it was i would say in in any bike race in asia road or mountain it was probably the hardest day stage day you could do and um so consequently we got around 45 people <laughs> the first time and uh i think around 80 the second time and i know you guys are in singapore and you probably know some of the people who came out that second time so we had anza riders and uh, yeah, quite a few anza riders and then some guys from uh the matadors for example and they absolutely loved it and we're saying please please put it on again but the thing is it takes a lot of time to put on a three-day race like that of course and there's quite a lot of risk involved and people flying down mountains and on bicycles rather than running and, and so we decided to to make the vietnam trail marathon instead of that so that's why that one was we stopped it but i'm thinking maybe bring it back again uh, next year I was thinking about just with your background in mountain biking and also with whitewater rafting as well is uh, is pulling those all together with the trails and putting a, get, putting on some adventure races. Like I'm always nagging on to race directors to, to be doing adventure racing because you know, for me it's the most fun by far and especially with the yeah. navigation and everything in there. Um, I, the amount that you've mapped out around the sort of uh, the the north of Vietnam, I'm sure you could. Uh, I'm sure you could put a really uh, a really fun course together and get it as part of the Adventure Race World Series. <laughs> I like it. Okay, there is actually there has been one Adventure Race down in uh, down in the south, which was um, in uh, Katia National Park, I think Katia National Park, or somewhere in that area anyway, and it was. A, but I didn't go to it. Everyone said it was a brilliant time, and I had a bit of climbing, a bit of kayaking, mountain biking, trail running. But very few people is the problem. So you got you really got to. It's, it's really. I think they tend to be their their passion projects, really. Yeah. And and it was for for, for Jean Luc who did it. It was totally a passion project, and he did it for as long as he had time to do it. And then his other thing. He has other things going on now, and it had it had to stop. But. Uh, it's yeah, not quite scalable be... as the as the trail running. You can't just exactly, uh, yeah. get four thousand people going and doing a, a, a big adventure race. It is a yeah, it's a, a bit more of a labour of love. Yeah, 
but maybe in these slightly different times, you know, next year might be the time to, to look at something different like that, something smaller that, that we can run. And, and like I said, that's the thinking with the, the mountain bike race as well. It's, it's small, but maybe have a bit more time because with it's sort of in the scope of the, the organization, there's less going on in one part of it. So we can do something more in, in the other. So yeah, maybe, maybe we could, but I mean, the kayaking, is completely nuts in uh, <laughs> up in that area. So that, I don't think rivers are either not doing very much or they're doing way too much. <laughs> so I don't think I'd dare put people in boats in uh, in the province where we operate the marathon. But uh, you're not based in Hanoi anymore, though, are you? If you? Am I right in thinking you've moved down to Da Nang? Yeah, well, Hoi An. So I fly into Da Nang. That's the so it's just sort of 25k up the road. So. For people who've been here to do the Ironman 70.3, which is based in Da Nang, when they, they do the bike course, they almost come to where I live because it's just just uh, yeah, 20k down the road from there. So, yeah, we've moved down here last year, but the office is up in Hanoi. So, I mean, I do a lot of work when I don't need to be on in the mountains. We can do it like online, of course, but when uh, when I need to be up there, it involves yeah, a bit of travel now. We don't know yet when the borders are going to reopen, but... But currently, the thinking is that the VMM goes ahead as planned in, in September. Yeah, so VMM will go ahead and the borders opening. Yeah, unfortunately, some people may not be able to come in to do it is the issue. So people within Vietnam can do that. It's, it pretty much feels normal here, actually, now. So this weekend, there's a big event going on. There's a, there's a few major runs before us. But there's a run coming up with a few thousand. There's, there's plans to go ahead just as normal. Because uh, there's been there's been no community transmission here now for a month, so and there are in terms of flights there are very few coming in, but if they come in they're all quarantined for for two weeks. So so I think it's unless something disastrous happens, the VMM will go ahead as a domestic race, and then maybe with some of these travel bubbles that are opening up, there might be a few nationalities that can come in. But if not, then it will be a case of uh, yeah, dealing with those who can't come in on a sort of case-by-case basis and working out something that's best for them. Hopefully, they can just transfer and come next year. That would be the ideal. But uh, Or maybe, uh, anyway, <laughs> that's detail. But yeah, we'll, we'll work something out for those people. But yeah, VMM, as it stands, is, is there's no change organisationally for that race. That's good to hear. I mean, it's not unlike almost every other race in the world. And still, I guess, it's still three... Was it three plus months away? So there's every chance. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Some of us, and then the other, we, we did have to move. We had a race in May. So BJM, you know, it's uh, Vietnam Jungle Marathon. Sorry, that should have been in May. And we just knocked that back into October, which is uh, the second harvest time. So in May, you get this, these golden rice fields there. And that's one of the reasons we put it there. But they luckily, they have two harvests in that part of Vietnam. So we just put it into the, the next one. So that'll be in October. So that gives people another another month. Hopefully things have opened up a, a little bit more. But for, yeah, as I say, for domestic runners, expat or Vietnamese, then no problem. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, that, then maybe we segue a little bit into, into cycling then. You mentioned that you'd, um, you've done a few Everest things yourself. Maybe talk us through, talk us through that. Uh, yeah, the first one, as I say, was this Barbie mountain outside Hanoi. And uh, that one, I... I was only toying with the idea of doing it and then I thought maybe I'd do something for charity around it and a friend of mine knew the the founder of Newborns Vietnam which is based in Da Nang and she she lives in Hoi An where I am now and, and they put me in touch with her and I remember at that time I was working on a guidebook 
and I was in uh, Wunmatut in uh, Central Highlands, which is an area famous for coffee. And she rang me, and uh, anyone listening to this who knows Susanna will be familiar with this feeling. Uh, she she decided it was happening, and by the end of the phone call, the Everesting date was set. She decided the British Embassy would be involved. The ambassador would do one of the reps with me. There would be a PESH conference, and my my idea of doing it was just get it done, you know, reasonably quietly and try and raise some money. But she blew it up, so that became something. Uh, something quite different I had in mind it was an awesome so that was unlike the Paddy Buckley doing it completely alone that ended up being with a lot of different people riding one or two or three ascents of this mountain so that was a it's around about a thousand meters so it was nine nine reps at eight percent so I I would say that's the ideal everything pretty much in terms of gradient eight percent average the problem with Barbie is it has a few pinches on it which are a bit too hard but generally, if you can find something around 8%, 10K would be, would be ideal. So that was a nice, sort of a nice introduction to everything. And then uh, last summer, I did one on Rhinos Pass, which is in England, which is the exact opposite of what you should do, which is a extremely steep um, 2.5K climb with 25% pitches on it. And so it's hard enough going up, but then the, the surface is uh, it's a it's fairly remote kind of Lakeland, Lake District Road in the UK. So it's also a terrible surface. So coming down steep and on this ragged road is also challenging. So the, there's no real rest on it. Like when you're going down a nice flowing, smooth descent, normally you, that's, you can relax on that. But on rhinos, that's not, that's not the case. So, uh, and there was also a massive headwind from around 4,000 meters. And of course you have to do 8,848. So half, for more than half of it, there's this raging headwind coming at me. And uh, I was alone for that one as well. So I parked the car at the top and then we'd just rep up and down to the car and grab some food every third or fourth or, or so rep. Um, <clears throat> so that was number two. And three, I did one just outside Hanoi on a little climb called Zom, which is 2.5K. And around, it's 10%, but it's not really because there's three ramps. So three very steep ramps, which again is not really ideal for, <laughs> for everything. So uh, that was the, the number three and the last one I've done. So yeah, three of them and I probably will do another one, but I, I'm not sure when. And uh, although I did mention to Jules actually on the Unfound podcast, and we've, we've already spoken about Quang, the, the ultra runner here, who's the, the, the biggest rising star. He used to train on a, on a hill called Monkey Mountain near Nanang, uh, up is and that, down, up and is down. That close to the Intercontinental Hotel? Yeah, so the, the Intercon is at one end, Sunchap Peninsula is the Intercon at the far end. Yeah. And have you been up that climb behind that? I, I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've run it. I haven't ridden it. I've run it a few times. Out of the hotel end or? Out of the hotel end, yeah. Yeah, so that is definitely not something you should ever risk. <laughs> no, it's pristine. <laughs> No way. The other end, there's another climb, which is still ridiculous, but it's nowhere near that one you're talking about, which is, I don't know what the ramps are on that, but it, you couldn't, I don't think you could ever risk that one on a bike. Well, certainly not without mountain bike gearing anyway. Yeah. The other end, there's one which is 10%. It's 10% all the way up, 5.6k at 10%. And that one, Quang and I have talked about doing together. So he, he'll run it and I'll ride it. Um, but he he would take motorbike down because in the Everesting rules as a runner, you can 
take a motorbike or any whatever transport down if you want to if cable car well, if you're riding with him you can give him a backy on the way down can't you? <laughs> do, do an et give you the handlebars <laughs> yeah um yeah i don't I, we we um yeah we've been talking about that just um around doing it on foot i think you need to run down as well i think like uh getting the uh getting a lift back down just i know it's part of the rules but doesn't necessarily it doesn't doesn't sit well with me you should yeah <laughs> yeah well Frank, he did one on trail and uh, which was that, yeah. he was on his trail so he had to run down and it yeah. was a terrible trail really rocky and technical and dead steep and he did it and he i think he took it for 36 hours so but when we chatted afterwards about we could do it on monkey mountain and you could get a motorbike down he very quickly said yeah okay <laughs> so i think if you do it once on foot you don't do it again but uh, I know what you mean, yeah. It would feel a slightly kind of incomplete, but and I think you, it would feel incomplete until you'd completed it. Have you not been tempted to do one on foot? Because what's, I mean, what's the, yeah. what's, the, what's the total gain for Paddy Buckley? It must be more than... It's, it you know. is, yeah, it's an Everesting, but it's not the Everesting that is, you have to get up and down the same climb. And it, so it's a part of the, it's mental, the mental challenge of it. So in fact, well, actually there is an Everesting in, in Denmark, someone who's involved with VMM, he has a, an event he calls Everesting DK, and it is a loop. So on that loop, he do, you do uh, laps, you do many, many laps, and it, over those laps, you build up the, the Everesting uh, height, which I completely agree with you. Uh, running down, it makes it feel more complete. And uh, to him, he's like, I don't care what the rules say. This is the height of Everest. I'm going to do it in laps, and I don't need to run up and down, up and down the same thing. But... So, but yeah, we did, uh, we also talked about doing it on foot at the um, at Phan Sipan, which is the highest mountain in Vietnam to do it. And I would do that with, with Quang. And, but that will be like my running at the moment. I can't, I definitely wouldn't be able to do it. It would take me at least a year, I think, to get to, to that kind of running fitness. But yeah, that's an idea for the further down the line. So you mentioned your, um, yeah, your running fitness. So I suppose you, you still go out on a lot of the bike tours. So when people, like you said, Anza was a, was a group that were due to be coming up from Singapore and obviously delayed due to the travel restrictions. But um, would you go out and ride with these groups for the full tour or would you be in the supporting, supporting car or how, how do you normally run the tours that you... That, um, like, yeah, for Velo Vietnam, it, it depends on the group. So Anza I would go with because they're, some of them are mates and they're... I know sort of personally what they want from it. And so I would go like design the route and then go with them. Um, but mostly I wouldn't go on the tour. So we've got other people who work with us. So for example, um, there's Ashley, who's a partner in fellow Vietnam. He, he lives in Australia, but he's over here sometimes at Hill Rundum. And then we've got um, Claude Perzo, who's a, he could be an interesting guest for you guys on this podcast, actually, because he's he used to be a pro, but only for a very short time with uh, Renault Jetan in uh, the 80s in France. And uh, yeah, he stopped because of the, he, he basically had to dope if he wanted to stay on that team. So it's quite an interesting pass for him. So he, he pulled out of pro cycling and then eventually ended up in Vietnam and he stopped cycling here for quite a while and then got fell back in love with the bike. And now he does his own sort of endurance ride. So just actually yesterday he set off on a, what should have been 720K. He was trying to do nonstop, no sleep, just, and he had all his nutrition with him in his own, in his pockets and then somehow, and his, and it, of course you can stop at shops and grab a few more snacks, but he got rained off after 250K. But so he, he, he will also run tours 
and he can do like, of course he can go fast but and go long but he's also very happy slow or short or as long as it's got a bike he's, he wants to do it and he he speaks excellent Vietnamese and has lived here a long time and he has interesting history with the bike so he, he also runs tours for us and then we've got Dale Nottingham who's uh, another he's really into his massive days on the bike he's not so fast but you can just go and go and go so I've been out for a ride a 230k ride with him and after 160 I'm flagging and he's exactly the same as he was in the first 10k he's that kind of diesel and just keep going and uh, yeah he's lived here a long time and really loves and has a lot of respect for Vietnam and the reason about Vietnamese he's also a really good good guide and gets on with everybody so yeah we've got a few and then also people don't want a guide as such then but just well they don't want a cycling guide and all that entails more expense we can also send people with a motorbike guide who's a still an expert tour guide on Vietnam but not the not the cyclist background and uh, they can take care of the riders and so they don't have to think about anything apart from riding their bikes on the tour so uh, yeah various ways we can do it and then we have a uh, the Frontier event, which is uh, kind of a, it's not a race, but it's a, got a competitive element to it. So that's a four day kind of stage event that I would always go on because that's none of the, my my babies. So that one is, um, we set up KOM segments on that. So people ride between the segments, nice and easy, and they can chat and get to know each other or you know chat with their mates and they join with their mates. And then when it comes to the time segment, which are all uphill, then it's game on. If you want to be competitive, then you smash yourself for that segment only and then regroup and then continue with your kind of enjoyable social ride between them. And so that the idea with that one is it has the the competitive element of bike racing, but no none of the stress of your, you know, your front wheel getting taken out by an idiot or you know, just stressing out basically on a on a on a on a road bike race because in between you're not racing. And when you are racing, it's uphill. So generally, people are not sitting on each other's wheels because it's a a climbing segment. So that one I always go on. And so that's the Northern Frontier, uh, which will normally, normal circumstances, go in November time. And then we make another one called Western Frontier, which is brand new for next year, which is on the Western border, which they with Laon, which is uh, something, something that's coming for 20... 21. You've got a you've got a very busy schedule planned in you guys. You're um yeah you you you're keeping yourselves uh keeping yourself busy. Yeah, uh, as busy as we as as we can, and hopefully next year, yeah, as I say, a lot a lot busier with the uh, the addition of that of that new one. Yeah, and soon to add an adventure race into there as well. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll looking out for that then. <laughs> I think we, you know, I think Vietnam potentially could come out of this whole situation quite well. I mean, it's clearly people around the world are talking about what an amazing job they've done in managing it. And mm. with any luck, you'll, um, you'll, you'll have a long waiting list of people ready to come in. I hope so. I mean, I think for a lot of people, more and more been people associate Vietnam with the beautiful places that it offers. You know, in the past, there was that issue of people think of Vietnam and they still think about the, the war and they don't have the idea of what, what a beautiful place it is and, you know, the amazing experiences you can have here and I think that is one positive of this of the the situation with corona is that people see wow this is the country that can deal with this disease to the extent that no deaths no deaths here and uh, only a very few cases and, and I think at the beginning you saw a lot you know I, I hadn't been on Twitter for a long time actually but I went back onto Twitter during this time just to sort of found it a good way to engage with 
with the news and, and what people were thinking and what experts were saying. And I could certainly see some skepticism around it, around Vietnam's response. But I think more and more people can see now it is about that swiftly dealing with it for a start, shutting down very quickly, uh, quarantining, and then uh, the, the the tracing of, of, of contacts was just done with uh, efficiency that uh, yeah, you can't. Not many countries could 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 rival, and uh, and so yeah, it's it's been pretty impressive response, and and of course it'll be one of the first to be able to open potentially, especially well only with these the travel bubbles. Obviously, they can't open to countries with a with a bigger problem, but with other countries that have it under control, it can open up sooner. So yeah, I think it's a a massive positive for for Vietnam in some sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess from what to go back to where we started, I mean, what what, what started for you guys as as a bit of an adventure, I guess, I, I guess when you moved out there, you didn't know how long you'd be there, but it seems like you've totally fallen in love with the place and, and really, um, really put down roots there. Yeah, I can't imagine, hopefully my mum's not listened to this, but <laughs> I can't really imagine resettling in the UK anytime soon, really. But I mean, never say never, but for sure now it, it feels like this is home, yeah, for sure. And then, so what do you think the next few years hold? You've got more events coming and what, what else do you want to try and achieve while you're there? Um, yeah, I mean, grow the trail sport here, just not too much more. I think we focus on maintaining quality rather than increasing the, the quantity of races, but you add a couple more of those. And I'd like to see the, this KOM idea work because it's, uh, it's different. And, and there's, there, there, aren't, there is no event like it, so it'd be good if that took off. And then, uh, yeah, as I say, these frontier events, the northern and, and western frontier, they, I don't, the idea for them isn't for them to be huge, but I, I really like the idea of there being sort of 50 or 100 people coming in. And, and also uh, what I'd love to see is 50-50 female and male participation in them, which is uh, something that chimes well with Emma. So she, as I say, she's now working with this organisation in Switzerland to increase female participation in, in uh, sport there. And I, we're thinking about making it a 50-50 that's the slots are just 50% female, 50% male. So when they're gone, they're gone. And, and it has to be half and half. Because uh, at the moment, like last year, we had uh, one woman come on it. And uh, yeah, being much more, uh, well, it would literally be more balanced if we had a 50-50 split. So that that would be something I'd like to see. And and that's happening just all really organically in the, in the trail running community. So the, in the longer distance events, we still see a lot more men running than women. But in the 21K and the 10K, it's almost 50-50. So I think without any effort, that will just come up through the distances. And then when, if, you know, if we talk again in three or four years, we'd be seeing a 50-50 uh, split in male-female participation in ultra running. So you know, that, that's something I'd really love to see. But as I say, I don't, I don't really, I don't think it's something we, we need to push too much because it's hope I see it happening already from those shorter distance events. So yeah, that, that, those are the things I'd like to see. In the, in the have, you, have you come across the um, uh, fairly new the Asia Trail Girls Initiative? Have you seen any just of that? yesterday, I think Veronica invited me to like it on Facebook. So yeah, just just in the last couple of days, yeah. Yeah, I mean that that chimes exactly with what you're saying. Trying to give a, a, a more of a platform for for Asia female trail participation and for for talent that wouldn't otherwise have opportunities. So I think it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a really nice thing to do. I was going to say, I was going to say, are you guys part of the um, the Asia Trail Master series again again this year? And which one of your uh, of your races are uh, are all three of them as part of the series? Or yeah, how how are you involved with with Asia Trail Masters? Yeah, two of them are, and the third I think might be like we Chris and I have chatted about it, but we've never 
quite got round to it, but I think it's just a case of us getting round to it and we'll probably put it in the third one. So at the moment, BMM, sorry, Vietnam Mountain Marathon, the Sapper Race, and Vietnam Jungle Marathon in Pulung are both part of it. And then as we, we have our own series, so within the Vietnam Trail series, we have points, a point system as well. So we have a champion of the ultra distance, which is 70 and 100, and then a champion of marathon distance and a champion of 21K distance. So for those, we just, we thought that would just be within Vietnam, people would be interested, but actually we had a, like Vanya, who's based in Singapore, yeah. our champion of one of them. So that's nice, They're not, it's not only people from within that are doing all three races, or at least you need to do two races to, to qualify for this, for the overall. So uh, yeah, we're part Didn't of the APM and this. She cycled, Vanya cycled up to one of your races, didn't she? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was beautiful watching her on Strava coming up towards us on, uh, on the bicycle, yeah. Actually, she didn't cycle all the way. We liked to play with that idea, but she, was, she, was, she, was, she did some cycling in Dalat and then some cycling in uh, Da Nang and then she, she cheated. <laughs> took, a, took a train up, I think, but yeah, she did a lot of, sort of cross-training. Um, We'll uh, yeah, we'll let her off that. She's an amazing runner though. She's so so strong. We see her around running around Singapore a lot, and she's just effortless. Like the the like fifty k sort of distance, forty to fifty k. Yeah, there's uh, there's not too many people that can match her apart from Veronica and um, uh, Veronique. Um, yeah, up in up in Hong Kong now, but uh, who's yeah. the Trail master? But yeah, both phenomenal runners. Yeah, she does have a very like you say, really flowing. She has a beautiful style and also smiling. All yeah. the time so we've got a load of photos she, she tends to be used on a lot of our sort of backdrops and because she's just always got this massive smile on her face um yeah and just looks great looks like kind of floating as she runs so yeah she's we're a big fan of uh, Vanya. and then uh, yeah maybe close with a few quick fire questions um just to find out a little bit more about your own inspiration are there are there particular people that you look up to any 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 heroes from the endurance scene yourself or outside the uh, I would say one you mentioned earlier, so Nikki Spinks is pretty amazing. So she, like you said, she did the, the double Bob Graham, but she's actually doubled all of the rounds now. So she doubled the Paddy Buckley as well. So like I was saying earlier how I was amazed that Sue was able to buy everyone a pint and then make a roast dinner the next day, which is, uh, sort of blew my mind. The idea that Nikki Spinks would have been running <laughs> during that time and just went around all the way again. and. Uh, as you also, she's a breast cancer survivor, so there's that element of it. So she's she's pretty inspiring. And so I think, yeah, she I put her right up there. And then, uh, yeah, it sounds pretty cheesy, but I'd say all of the runners that we have who, who finish, the, particularly the 100K and the 70K of our races, it's hard not to be inspired when you're standing on the finish line. Of course, by the winners, but mostly by, you know, when you're standing there at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, and people are coming in and they're totally broken. And, you know, some of them almost walking backwards across the finish line because they've broken themselves up so much and they're, they're finishing. So, yeah, in terms of sports, uh, those, all those people, for sure, inspire me a lot. And uh, back in the day, I was inspired a lot by my cousin, Pete, who I said about coming over from Canada. And he really switched me on a lot to, to go in, into the mountains. And if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be talking to you now. So, for sure, like, he's a big, big inspiration, somebody uh, that's had a big impact on me, yeah. Yeah, do you have a do you have like a completist side to your personality? I mean, not maybe not doing the double rounds, but do you think someday you'd want to do the Bob Graham? Maybe do the Rams? Yeah, well? when I'm fifty, actually, I've thought about that. So I get inspired by Sue, so uh, Doctor Sue's auntie, Sue the vet, when uh, she did that for a fiftieth on the on the paddy. So I'd like to do 
uh, Bob Graham potentially when I'm 50 and I love the Lake District as well I spend quite a lot of time up there and uh, quite a lot of summers in the Lake District and I love that part of the world and then also I've thought about trying to make one in Vietnam so I don't know what we'd call it and I wouldn't I wouldn't name it after myself but some equivalent of that so uh, try and fit it in the same kind of number of peaks which would be harder here but not impossible I don't think so something around sort of 40 to 50 tops and make it as close as I could to 100k and uh, this around the Everest kind of 9,000 meters elevations. So if we can make one of those, that'd be nice. And it would that wouldn't be an event. That would just be the you know you'd lay it out and just the, like these classic rounds in uh, England, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland, people would be able to try and go and do it if they wanted to. So, and of course I would have to therefore do it first. So yeah, that that's a that's another dream. But that definitely won't happen in the next uh, well in the foreseeable future. But one day, yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing. What about um, what about books or podcasts that you listen to? Uh, running book again, yeah. I mentioned the, the book, the main book that inspired me was the was Feet in the Clouds by Richard Asquith. And whether people are interested in sort of UK fell running or not, I would say if you if you like distance running, then and if and if, and if you have a job that you're trying to manage your job with your your ambition to to get your sport done, then I would say pick that book up and and read that for sure. Um, and podcasts. I've got to give a shout to uh, Jules, of course, for a cycling podcast would be Unfound, something for the turbos. He's he's interviewing some really interesting people. Uh, particularly the first episode of that one, he introduces the guy who uh, his name escapes me now, but he he's won uh, the Trans America bike race, having picked up cycling like very recently off the back of background of being a, a weightlifter. He was a, when he was a weightlifter, he was so consistent he didn't miss a day of weights. He'd said since he was a almost a teenager up till recently he was like, every single day and when he took up cycling it was the same way he just he didn't have a coach he didn't have a power meter he didn't have bother with any of that stuff he just said okay i'm gonna do ultra endurance i'll do 200k a day every day and that'll get me fit for ultra endurance so yeah that was a an interesting episode of that podcast and then uh emma pooley put me onto science of ultra so for running podcasts that's quality and then uh, Ian Corliss, his episode's a bit long, maybe. <laughs> like you've got to have three hours to get through one, but listen to it in chunks, and he's really good. Um, and then, yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts, actually. So Cycling Podcast, uh, The Cycling Podcast is my favourite road cycling podcast. And then alongside that, Life in the Peloton, which is Mitch Docker, a pro. He does really excellent interviews with other normally current pros, and because he is a pro, he has this really conversational style I think he gets a lot out of people that you know, maybe a cycling journalist wouldn't be able to. So uh, they're excellent. And then non-sport podcast, uh, Adam Buxton is my favourite by far. And uh, yeah, remember, just actually, to Adam like going back to <clears throat> the thing, only problem with that podcast is you'll be riding along or running along. I remember running around Hampstead Heath training for the Paddy Buckley, just pissing myself laughing and thinking people are looking at me a bit, <laughs> a bit odd. So. I think yeah, listening to Adam Buxton's a good, uh, really inter- not only funny but really interesting guest and uh, bit of a wide-ranging interviews he does. And uh, yeah, just to add that, uh, Louis Thruge just started his own podcast, Ground. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, which yeah. I, 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 I think uh, if you like Adam Buxton, you'll learn. Yes. Yeah. yeah, good chat. Actually, and sort of topically, everyone's been into um, Tiger King, right? Yeah. And I was trying to explain the, you know, the Netflix doc. And I was trying to explain to people how, oh, if you've not seen the Louis Theroux Weird Weekends, and you like this document, you've got to watch it. You know, when, especially his American ones. So yeah, alongside podcasts, I'd say get into that. 
his uh, documentary series as well. There's a lot of time to be able to consume content right now with uh, with people under lockdown. Although you're <laughs> allowed to head up to the hills, mate. We um, we're we're very jealous down here in Singapore. In Singapore. Uh, we're connected to people in in Vietnam or in uh, in Hong Kong where they're able to like their Stravas are giving us all FOMO down here. Yeah, 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 man. I know. I feel like, it wasn't one long ago. We had our lockdown here, and like during that, I got pretty into Zwift, and we actually made a Zwift event actually. So we had a TT, and there were quite a lot of people from Singapore were in that TT and and Hong Kong as well. So we had two uh, time trials on the on these Zwift courses. So yeah, it was quite fun like, having everyone around the world like smashing themselves to bits on their on their turbo at the same time. And then we did a sort of individual result for each TT and then a GC ranking for the two put together. But yeah, I've got to say I was pretty happy to to not have to get on Zwift <laughs> the week after it ended and get outside. Yeah. All good. What about what about kit? What are you what are you wearing? How easy is it to get good kit in Vietnam? Are there any Vietnamese brands? Yeah, oh, it's really easy now. So here, like for example, for say for running, for ultra running, you've got like Solomon's been here a long time. Actually, you know, they've been a really awesome supporter of uh, trail running, not only for our races but for other races since right since the beginning. So since before there was a a market to market to, uh, they did it. So I really respect uh, Solomon Vietnam, and you can get their stuff. Pretty much actually as good prices you can get anywhere if, if not cheaper here so all the all the running kit you need you can get from them and then for people who are maybe newbies who want a bit more budget there's decathlon here as well now so you know same as in uh massive sports mega store you can get everything in there and actually like i started with that stuff and i think i did the paddy with a 15 quid backpack from decathlon and i've still got it so uh yeah that's that's pretty good stuff but uh, cycling, yeah, you can get everything here. And generally, I mean, if you're six foot, then it's going to be hard to get your, just the bike in the right size. But all the bits and bobs for it, you can, you can get here. And uh, in terms of nice kit, actually, I'll give a shout to uh, Post Carry, which is a, a company here, which has started making for ultra endurance, particularly it's useful for uh, bike packing. So he's making really good quality and uh, simple design, but just very based on functionality, ergonomics, uh, bike packing kit. And so that's a new company called uh, Post Carry. And then now he's got a really nice bar bag. And uh, there's a prototype uh, top tube bag coming, which is uh, which is really nice kit. And you can order that online. And he also has bike bags. So they're so small. You do have to take your fork off, but they're so small you can wear them as a backpack. And when you check in at the airport, they don't even notice it's a bike. So in terms of like weight, getting around uh, fees and hassle, They'll just check it straight in like it's a suitcase. So that's called the transfer case. So yeah, that's another quality bit of kit, and that's yeah, Vietnam, Vietnam made. Just looking at that now, post carry it looks really, it looks like really good stuff. We'll put some links to that in the show notes. Yeah, that's Mark who who makes that. He's a really nice guy as well. He's actually he's stuck back in America now. He, he'd like to be here <laughs> in Vietnam. It's where his where his production is, but he he went to America and got stuck. Well, yeah, it sounds like you've got um, some big exciting plans today. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was a lot of, uh, lot of fun talking to you. And hopefully, like you say, we can next time do it on bikes or on trails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely look forward to coming up coming up soon. I know that Rick was looking to do a story about, about Vietnam as well. For um, So, yeah, we're definitely keen to, to get up and hit the trails or the, uh, or the roads with you. Ideally off-road, even if it's on mountain bike. I think, uh, yeah, ideally stick to the um, stick, stick off-road in the mountains. Yeah, there's plenty of options for that so yeah love to love to welcome you over here and look forward to it good yeah. stuff nice one cheers david thank you it's like the truthful story if they ever ask 
Stop the complaining cause things ain't that bad. Hey Mr. Rick Stockfish, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, good Scott. How are you, mate? Pretty good, yeah. Um we have um yeah, we we recorded with David a, a few weeks back actually, haven't we? And like um yeah, we've kind of since that time have come out of lockdown here in Singapore. We're finally able to to get out for a run and um uh yeah it feels like we've got freedom back again yeah trails are, are, are busier than ever people relieved to finally be able to get back out there so yeah it was it's been really nice isn't it yeah and um and yeah it was it was really good speaking with david i mean vietnam have just managed the situation to uh to perfection really haven't they and um and have been completely opened up now. I mean, they've they've had to move uh, one of the races, the the Vietnam Jungle Marathon, as you said, has moved to to the end of October. But they have also um, just recently uh, announced um, and the additional race that he was talking about, the Topaz Riverside Run, which is going to be on the in the first uh, of August. Um, which I think at this stage will probably still be the domestic runners um but uh but it's good that they've been able to sort of add uh add new events to the diary yeah i mean they've got what they've got that sept that's august and they've got the marathon now to marathon september jungle yeah i mean there's a decent a decent stack of events and they all look great i mean it was it's been three years since i went up and did the the jungle marathon would highly recommend it um it's just a beautiful part of the world and, and they put on a really good event as david was saying in that interview just they really put a lot of thought into the specific route that you're on and, and, and trying to open up just great, um, great viewpoints along the way. Um, yeah, really, really well managed set of events. And, um, yeah, I'd absolutely love to get up and do the, do the mountain marathon. I mean, you know, this year, hopefully, who knows, don't know whether we'll be able to leave the country yet, but, um, certainly at some point in the future. Well, I think if there's a, if there's one place in Southeast Asia that will be able to open up the travel bubble to, I think, um, I think Vietnam will be will be top of the list. So um, yeah, fingers crossed. I'd love to get up to the um, to the Vietnam Jungle Marathon in um, in uh, in September. Uh, and sorry, the Vietnam Jungle Marathon is one in that's been moved uh, to October, and then the the Vietnam Mountain Marathon, which is the original, is going to be nineteenth um, of uh, of September. Um, so yeah, there's been a, it's not really been a great deal going on in the uh, in the endurance community. I mean, lots um, um, lots a lot of countries still under uh, lockdown, but um, yeah, a couple of things that have come up are the um, Veronica, who we we had on the podcast as uh, as part of the team that won the the unofficial Oxfam Trail Walker. Uh, the, um, she started the Asia Trail Girls Community, which um, which is a really good initiative. Yeah, it'd be good to get her on again and, and have a talk about that. Um, I remember when we met the the race based guys several months back. Now they were talking about a similar thing and trying to encourage more female participation, open up opportunities for just some of the the amazingly talented female runners out there who just don't necessarily have access to to sponsors and structured training and, and ability to travel for the races. So, you know, hopefully this will um, help spur that along. Yeah, and it was interesting hearing um, hearing David as well talking about wanting to get to um, get to sort of parity for females attending their races, and he said that they've like 
got a huge influx of of, uh, of locals, which are like it's almost ninety percent of Vietnamese that do the races. But also in the in the shorter distance, it's kind of fifty uh, fifty gender parity on those races. And he believes for the longer ones, it's going to um, uh, that it's going to become sort of more um, yeah more diverse, and um, and there'll be more females attending. Um, talking of um, of impressive female endurance athletes burn dornham uh, the adventure racer in australia that we had on last year uh, we talked about that about the uh, the eco challenge um race that was happening out in in fiji uh, the world's toughest race which was being um recorded in a show put together by by amazon is finally going to be released this august which uh, which i'm pretty excited to to see yeah it'd be great to uh, it'd be great to finally watch that so yeah, she has to keep it all under wraps, I guess. How she got on, that would be great to find out. Yeah, it's going to be, and and it, I'm sure it'll be a, a, a great show. Bear Bear Grylls, um, I'm sure that, that one bit, like I, I, the the video that they shared of it sort of uh, shows that there's been there was a like few a few accidents in the actual uh, race and a few people hurt and injured and they're, they're going to dramatise it obviously, and um, but. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be exciting to see how that one all played out. There was um, there was some phenomenal teams that um, that went out to Fiji. So um, yeah, excited to see that come out on Amazon Prime at the beginning of August. Yeah, and uh, just listening back to David talk about all these events that they're putting on, you know, the bigger ones and even some of these smaller ones, KOM race and his, I mean, the Riverside Run things. Yeah, just makes us think um, we need to get on and organise something here at least for the next few months while we can't really leave. So um, let's put our heads together and, and try and figure out some something exciting that we can do here. Yeah, the the fat ass adventure race that we've been discussing, the Endurance Asia Challenge in Singapore, is a, like we've put put together a bit of a planned route together, and um, yeah, I think we we'll sh- we should still be able to to run that. Although they have said in in Singapore, no events with more than more than fifty people before before October, right? So the um, uh, the force of nature and um, the other sort of trail races that were originally planned for um, for uh, this summer are having to be pushed back, and, and obviously Jerry's um, big beach backyard um, uh, is gonna is gonna have to be pushed back to later in the year. Yeah, and I feel for a lot of these small events. I mean, the, the events on the Asia Trailmaster Tour, these remote communities that just you know had a for the last few years have had a steady influx of people for these events and money coming in and it must be uh, it must be quite challenging so we should we should get chris on from asia trailmaster and just talk about how they're how they're trying to adapt and what he's thinking because um yeah it's uh, it's, a, it's a tough time for those for those race directors in uh, all over asia really yeah chris vanderbilt the guy that runs asia trailmaster and it'll be interesting there must be they're going to need to adapt the the i suppose the rules to because with people not being able to to travel i mean they have to do a certain amount of international races to qualify for the um for the series don't they so they might he might make a few changes there so yeah we'll get him on to find out yeah yeah we'll get up for you you did a nice little uh, round the island ride as well just uh, just last week um yeah, it felt like more of a challenge than it should have done. Not really being a cyclist, but it was uh, it was good fun and uh, and a reminder that you can uh, you can create those challenges for yourself. But uh, yeah, newfound respect for you, mate, doing that after kayaking halfway around the island and then running a marathon afterwards. 
Yeah, well, you did it without any like proper cleats or um, or cycling shoes as well. So that um, that does definitely make, makes it harder for yourself. Just yeah, doing it and not, training. not recommended that. I'm still sort of paying the price now. My foot's still still pretty sore, but yeah, uh, it was good fun. Yeah, cool. Well, nice one, mate. I'll um, uh, I'll see you back out on the trails very soon. Look forward to it, mate. Cheers, mate. Like the truthful story of they ever asked. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad.